Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Alex Jarbo with me here today, and I'm going to send everybody to your webpage, Alex. Head over to alexjarbo.com, and I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes, but we're going to be talking about not only short-term rentals, but short-term development. Alex is working on a $10 million project right now as he's building short-term rentals in his market. I really appreciate your time here today, Alex. Oh, thanks for having me on, sir. So I got to start asking, what made you find your way or your niche to real estate investing on short-term rentals? Yeah, originally I was in the military. So I was in the Marine Corps and I had served for four and a half years, about a year left on my enlistment. I had decided that I didn't want to re-enlist. So I really dove deep into every single asset class you can think about, stocks, crypto, businesses, M&A, real estate. Real estate really caught my eye just because I just enjoyed the control I have over it in terms of forced appreciation. You have almost complete control over the real estate asset. I originally landed on flipping, like flipping houses. And I had joined a flipping mentorship. And what I realized was the gentleman that was in charge of that flipping mentorship, all of his long-term wealth was tied in short-term rentals. So I actually got him on a call. And this was back in 2015. And I got him on a call and I was like, I would, I'm obsessed with that. Like that, that's the coolest thing ever. I want to invest in short-term rental. So he helped me choose, or he let me ch- decide on how to choose a market. And then also like what goes into a good short-term rental. He had also shown me his numbers. And so the day I got out of the military, I moved directly to where I live here in Asheville, North Carolina. And I just, got, I got my real estate license when I first moved here. I just started looking for a rental, looking for a short-term rental that I could purchase. I had some money saved up, but it wasn't anything crazy. And what I realized was anything was either way out of my price range or it wouldn't have done well. Anything that was in my price range wouldn't have done well as a short-term rental. Maybe it would have done if I put like a long-term tenant in there, but not there wasn't anything unique about the property. So I decided to, it was about six to eight months of looking, and I decided to build my first real estate investment, ground-up development. It was an 800-square-foot A-frame that we own to this day. And then one turned into two, two turned into four, brought on some investor capital. And like you said, like we're developing over $10 million in real estate today and hoping to triple that next year. You mentioned you were looking for a unique piece of property in which to to do short-term rentals. What were you looking for that wasn't available? At that time, you were, yeah, I was looking for something. Where, so like the way we develop property is, I like to say Instagrammable properties, a property where the property itself is an experience outside of the city that the guest is visiting. And just what was in my price range at that time, there was nothing like that on the market. There, like Even if it was like a small log cabin, my budget was like 200000 250000 I couldn't find anything even at that time, which was 2016. So you're primarily building log cabins? Is that it's big? a mix of everything. So what we like to do is we like to develop anywhere between four to 12, six to 12 cabins at the same time in a cluster development. And they're themed in a certain way, whether it be log cabins, A-frames is really popular right now, modern contemporary barn style houses, cottages, chalets, and then we're playing around with tree houses as well, designing some tree houses. 
do you hold all of the properties that uh, you build or are you looking to sell some of these as well? No. So I'm married. I'm married to the deal and my investors for eight to 10 years, depending on what the market looks like at that time. But I, any prop, any property that I develop with my company, I'm an equity and, and I have equity in the property. And then we all, the management also is also done in house as well. When you're looking at a place in which to build these properties, what do you tip, what have you learned now that you keep in mind regarding a great location? Yeah, that phenomenal question. That is the most important question to ask when it comes to short-term rental development. You have to think of, so I like to say, you have to think the whole guest experience. So the guest experience doesn't mean just the property where the guest is visiting. What the guest experience also means is the drive to and from the property. So what I like to say is you don't want your guests to be driving 30 minutes up a gravel road to get to the property. A lot of times they'll be driving it at night. A lot of times they'll be new to the area. Sometimes they'll lose reception. You don't want them to be scared or slash annoyed before they even get into your property. So access to the land is one of the most important things I like to look into. It's we're in the mountains here, but it's more important to me than views or anything like that. It's how is the guest getting to the property? We like to be off of a double lane state maintained road or some sort of paved road leading into the property. We'll put in our own gravel driveways. That's completely fine. We've done up to a quarter mile gravel driveway or up to a half mile gravel driveway, but that'll take them anywhere between three to five minutes to drive through compared to 30 minutes up a gravel road. So access to property is probably number one. With that all being said, it seems like the short-term rental market has got just gotten an influx of investors trying to find various niches associated with these type of rentals. Have you found certain amenities that are help you stand out? You mentioned Instagram associated properties, but is there anything else that, that you're looking for yeah, that the, you're building the, in? The structure and the interior design plays a huge part of bringing guests to the property. But yeah, amenities for sure. So all of our properties currently are permanent foundations, thick built houses. So they're actual houses that someone can live in long term. And the reason it's done like that is because it, we wanted to... We want to make it feel like home. Even if like our first A-frame was 800 square foot, it still feels like a house, what, meaning that there's a full bathroom, full functioning bathroom, and then there's a full kitchen. Every kitchen that uh, every property we develop has a kitchen that can essentially cook a Thanksgiving dinner if you need it to. High-speed internet has become super important, even especially after COVID, because people are still working. A lot of people are working remote permanently or at least on some sort of flexible schedule basis. Amenities like internet are super important. Hot tubs are always going to be important in the mountains. Nothing gets more iconic than like a log cabin in the mountains with a hot tub. So hot tubs tend to add anywhere between $25 to $50 a night on your daily rate as well. That's interesting. You mentioned the last couple of years with the lockdowns. It sounds like there's a trend when it comes to short-term rentals. You saw an influx of residences, people renters, because they didn't want to be in, in a compact or multi-use building material in, a, in hotels and the like. So it seemed like there was a kind of a surge in the short-term rental market, actually, during over the past couple of years, which is kind yeah, of we the kept, opposite. We kept, we kept raising our prices because we were at like 95-plus percent occupants. We kept raising our prices, so people kept booking. <laughs> Are you so seeing our, that trend continue? Yeah, so it's definitely slowed down for sure, but we're still at 90% plus occupancy throughout the whole year. Depend our prices fluctuate daily based off of the dynamic pricing tool we use. But yeah, COVID, that wasn't our original plan because we started developing prior to COVID. 
than we had rentals prior to COVID. But our we I went further out from the city just because I had to because it was cheaper. I just couldn't afford it at that time. But that that played into our strategy after once COVID happened and the lockdowns happened and we got past the first lockdown the first couple of months, people left the metro cities and they went into more rural settings. And especially, like I said, especially now with people working remotely and people are a little bit more comfortable tra- traveling off the beaten path to get to, the, to these unique properties, the occupancies are standing true. Maybe it's a little less busy, but that, that was expected once the borders opened up that people were going to start traveling internationally again. And then with so many people trying to get into short-term rentals, have you found any marketing strategies to help you stand out from the crowd? Because there's sure a lot to, especially when you're starting to starting out, getting that super host status or what have you, it's not an easy process. Yeah. So the super host status, yes. I like to look at, so like I, outside of just owning a short-term rental, which is one real estate property, you have to look at your, even if you own one, you have to look at your whole property as a business. It's, you're operating a business there. It's not just a property. So with that being said, I look at Airbnb, I'm super grateful for Airbnb and VRBO both. But they should be just looked at as a marketing arm to your business. Now, what that means is the way you had asked how we differentiate ourselves is in the last six months, we've really focused on establishing a direct booking platform, meaning that we have our own separate website. And then a tool that I will recommend forever is a tool called StayFi. And what it is, it's a little disk that plugs into the back of your router. And you can essentially create a landing page for your internet. And so like the guest has to put their email address in prior to logging into the internet. We've hosted over a thousand guests this year and we've never had an issue with that. And like no one's ever complained about that. And what that does is we get the guest off Airbnb, VRBO, they stay in our property. And then from there, we get their contact info, their email address, and then we go remarket to them and push them towards our direct booking site. That way we have complete control over the guest, which is important in any type of business. You don't want your if you're on an email marketing company, if you own any type of e-commerce business, you don't want your business to live specifically, say, like on Amazon or on Google or on wherever, on YouTube. You want to be able to control your guests, which is super important. Yeah, I would imagine that those guests that are booking directly with you are just, in the end, far more profitable. They're far more profitable. You can offer more discounts because the service fees aren't as crazy, but it, it also lends to a more intimate process as well. It's almost be, it's almost gone full circle because back in the short term rentals have been around forever. It's not a new idea. It's just the way we book them has become a, like a, with Airbnb and VRBO and the other online travel agencies. It's just easier to book. There's just back in the day, you had to pick up a phone to call or call a real estate agent to, to book a short term rental. So it's almost gone full circle now because back in the day before even Airbnb existed, people had their own websites if they owned like a complex or like a log cabin court of some kind they would push people towards a site and it's going full circle now where it's like, again, it's like we're integrating with Airbnb and VRBO for them just to be a marketing arm to bring people into our business. So how many of these have you built so far? We've built 14 or sorry, 13, and then we're building another 24. That's where the 10 million comes from. And we're so like, just as we're recording this, we're going to list 11 in the next two months, 11 more are going to be done in the next two months. So what are some of the lessons you learned in building, like in dealing with the contractors and timelines and project management associated with all this? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. Make, obviously, making sure that you're vetting your GCs, that's huge. And making sure that you have, when you're investing in more rural settings, 
making sure that your GC should be doing this. Your real estate agent should be checking up on this as well. But making sure you have access to things like electricity and internet. Sometimes like certain easements are required, especially if you're like operating in private neighborhoods and stuff. Making sure that all of that is hashed out during the due diligence phase before you close on the land. That's been huge. And then just working with people, and it's a little bit difficult when you're first starting, but working with people that you can get a feel for that like they can grow with you. That's been huge. It is understanding people's goals. Maybe some people like maybe some GCs or some tradesmen don't want to build as many as you want to, if that makes any sense. Maybe they're comfortable with a certain amount of work. And just understanding that it's, it's super crucial. So just understanding the goals of everyone that's working for you is very important. That goes for any business. Yeah. Just to remind everybody, head over to alexjarbo.com for more information about what Alex and his team are doing there. And I'm going to transition into the team. You talk and just make sure you vet your GCs and everybody accordingly. But what type of questions are you typically asking to make sure that it's just frankly a good fit? Yeah, you want to see what projects they've done in the past. You don't want to be the one that they're learning on. So that's number one. Number two is understanding what type of license they have. So if we're in the state, if we're operating in the States, I always like to work with GCs that have something called an unlimited license. Uh, and there, there's a certain there's a certain threshold they have to meet to be able to get that license. That's that's a really good way to vet a GC is asking them, do they have an unlimited license or if there is if their license is unlimited? And then, yeah, just... Also, a really good thing that I've actually never thought about until now that we've gone through is understanding and making sure that they've actually worked with a bank in the past, because some GCs will specifically just work with people that have cash that are building their projects. When you add a lender in the mix, that 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 is a completely different world where they have to answer to a lender and their processes as well. So like making sure that they have some experience with it, working with a bank as well. Forgive all the questions, because building... Short-term rentals new is just just a new concept. Earlier, you mentioned you couldn't buy a cabin for two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand at the time. Is that approximately what you're building these for today? That, or is- yeah, that first A-frame with the land with turnkey furnished, everything was about two hundred fifty grand. And to put that in, to put that number in perspective, that cabin last year, A-frame cabin, whatever you want to call it. That A-frame last year grossed 82000 and then it netted after debt service 46000 So that, that's a pretty big number. Yeah. Like you, you get two or three of those and you're pretty much set unless you want to go as big as we're doing right now. Do you have a limited amount of a requirement regarding how long somebody stays there? I've noticed it. I can't yeah, we, like the, we typically don't target the mid, midterm guests. Well, 28 days, 30 days plus. There, there isn't necessarily, we've never, honestly, out of the thousand, we've never had a guest that has stayed over a month before. And that's probably just because of the way the properties are, like they are smaller properties for the most part, anywhere between 400 to 1300 square foot. And we're in a vacation area. So it's like, I don't really see people staying here like two, three months at a time. We, we wouldn't want that anyways. Do you have these cabins like on water in that too then? So that there's other activities? Yeah, no water, but mainly all mountain views for the most part. Either mountain views or some sort of wooded setting. With the lockdowns and everything, we also experienced supply chain issues. And in the mountains, I'd imagine that might have yeah, been even, even amplified further. Is What kind of obstacles have you run in there? Yeah, so when that, I love that question. So when we... When obviously COVID first happened, it was probably a year and a half or two until we really picked up again on the new development stuff. 
what we were doing during COVID was purchasing properties that had some sort of land attached to them. So like where we could afford to purchase, say like an $800,000 cabin with four to six acres attached to it, where we could do future development on. And that's where we're at now is like, we really ramped up in the last six months, but we did put a pause on development for a little bit and just focused on purchasing cabins or some sort of unique property that had land attached to it. And then now that six months ago is when we were ready to start up again. That was huge. But even six months ago, there was supply chain issues. So what I've been saying to that is I told after going through it for about a couple months about things being delayed is it wasn't a hundred percent what we wanted with building some of these cabins, but just building stuff with items and materials that was in stock was huge. And I'm mainly talking to the finish, like the finishing stuff. That was huge. It was like, we're only, we're only building with items that are in stock. And then another thing was we optimize our floor plans. That's pretty, that's very important. When you, I see, I've talked to a lot of students that like will show me a floor plan and it's completely, there's a lot of wasted square footage. So just making sure that a floor plan is completely optimized. Open floor plans are always going to do really well. Using pocket doors has been super helpful as well. These are very tiny details to think about, but it, it, it lends to the bigger picture of developing the cabin. So the pocket doors and then just open floor plans have, or open concept floor plans have been huge for us because it, it takes a small property and makes it feel way bigger. Yeah, you're not talking about very large places. How many bedrooms do you typically have or how many guests yeah, can so you that, accommodate? That first one with 800 square foot, it has a loft with a ladder and it has a queen bed up there. And then it has a bedroom downstairs as well. So two bedrooms. And then we have a clean sleeper sofa. So that one can sleep six people comfortably. It can sleep six people. We don't like to go over that number. Okay. And is that typically what the other ones are looking to? Yeah. Four to six. I don't like to do two. Usually you can do, you can get away with four. If we're doing two, then I feel like the property is a little too small. You can't do the full kitchen or maybe even a full bathroom. When I say full bathroom, some of our smaller, like our four or 500 square foot properties have just a shower compared to a bath. But yeah, I don't like to do two. Usually you can get away with four. So since these are in rural areas, are you having to deal with wells or septic systems or anything as well? Yeah, every single one of the properties is on well and septic. So those permits tend to be right now about 12 to 16 weeks out. So we'll actually pay for the permit up front and then we'll include it in our budgets. And then I'm essentially reimbursed once we close on the loan. Once we get under contract and we get to a certain point, where we feel comfortable that we're going to close, we just submit that permit while we're still in the due diligence phase. Since you've built so many of these, what's the, been the biggest surprise? What's What was the biggest wrench that's been thrown into it so far? The supply chain issues for sure, but the biggest, it wasn't necessarily unexpected. It was me sitting down about six to eight months ago and realizing, just thinking about what the best use of my time really is in my own business and then delegating the rest. So what I realized was, Focusing on these like six to 12 cabin communities is the best use of my time. There really wasn't a big difference in time used with anybody on my team. If I went and looked at a five acre parcel, there was no difference between me looking at, say, like a two acre parcel and a 15 acre parcel. To me, it was the same amount of time. When I sent it to my GC, when I sent it to my engineer, when I sent it to my architects for the floor plans, it was essentially the same amount of time that we were spending on those two. It was like, building one or two cabins here or building 10 here. It was almost the exact same time. It was just a bigger budget. So the, that's been the biggest, it, not necessarily a monkey wrench, but the biggest aha I've had in the last six to eight months. Okay. I'm guessing that you work with other investors regarding what you're developing there. How can how do people get involved or what are you looking for right now? 
Yeah, you guys can, we're not actively looking for capital right now, but we're always talk. I'm always talking to investors just in case a, a deal come, comes across my table that I can shoot out. But alexdrabo.com, you guys can find all my stuff there. My YouTube channel is there as well. Just like we use the YouTube channel just to go through management principles and some tools that we use. And then also to detail some of the projects we're working on as well, like on site. So I'm going to end our some of our conversation with a question, though, regarding there's a lot of people new to real estate investing that listen to the show, and they're considering short-term rentals. What is one of those, a couple strategies or a couple tactics that you would suggest that they do before they buy their first short-term rent, rental property? Yeah, so if they're looking to buy or develop one of the easiest ways to do it is to get a HELOC or do a cash out. I wouldn't do a cash out refinance right now with the rates, but doing a HELOC and tapping into the equity of your home. And essentially, I've seen a lot of people do this, essentially build an accessory dwelling unit in their backyard, like a, just a very small property and then rent that out. And that, that essentially pays the mortgage for being both properties. That's one way I've seen do it. But just doing your due diligence, there's a phenomenal tool that's a free tool that pulls all of the information from Airbnb and VRBO, and I'll show you exactly what properties are making in your market. I would say just doing your due diligence on that website. It's called data.rabu.com, D-A-T-A dot R-A-B-B-U.com. And you can play around with that and see what like the certain property that you're looking to develop or purchase would could potentially make. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate all of that information. If you're ready, we'll jump into some of the rapid fire questions and we'll close this out. So we're familiar with the late night programs that promise the world when it gets to real estate investing. What is one real estate investing myth you'd like to bust today? Ooh, that's a good question. You don't, you don't have to start in your backyard. That's one thing that people always say is start in your backyard. You can do with the amount of tools that are out there, like you can run a successful real estate business remotely if real, the numbers are anything in any real estate class you're looking to get into. The number, if the numbers don't work in your backyard, you can go internet, you can go nationally if you need to. Okay. And then what book would you recommend everybody checking out or what are you reading right now? One of the best books I've, what the best book I've ever read just on overall economics and just the way our money system is set up is Creature from Jekyll Island. That, that's been a really eye-opening book. Okay. What is the biggest real estate investing mistake you've made and what did you learn from it? Yeah, we, I briefly touched on it, but I didn't really tie it to an example. So we ran the very first property we developed. We didn't get an electricity easement prior to closing on the land. And none of the neighbors initially wouldn't give us that electricity easement. So we built a $180,000 property and furnished it. So like 250 grand total with the land. We furnished and had a property that was fully built that had no electricity to it. And then we eventually figured it out, but. That was potentially a $180,000 mistake that I could have made, that I've learned my lesson with anything that I do from now on with like easements or anything with neighbors. Okay. Yeah. What is your favorite movie? Ooh, favorite. I, I was a magician prior to the military, so I love the movie The Prestige with Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman. Magician. Can you show us a All trick right. right now? Oh, I can't right now. I don't have it. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> a spot like that. That's so funny. I love it. <laughs> it's okay. So... If you I'll could be go ready back next and, time. Ever hop be, on. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that. If you could go back into time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Just persevere. Fo- focus. Set aside anywhere between an hour to three hours a day. To focus on one thing. 
And you, we had mentioned, you had mentioned what my fa other favorite books are. The one thing by Gary Keller and pa Jay Papazan has really been a framework for me. That you sit down one to three hours a day and focus on just one thing. One thing that you can do consistently every day for the next like two, three years. And I guarantee they'll put you pretty close to the top of your field, if not pretty close to it. Alex, this was a great conversation. Again, it's alexjarbo.com. Make sure to check the show notes for that link. But before I let you go, is there a question or concept you wished we would have covered today? No, one of the things is just making sure that you have some sort of mentor. That, that's been huge. That's in every stage of my life in the last, if you look at the military in the last 10 years, there's always been, looking back, there's always been a mentor that's been there for me that helped me get to the next level. And I feel like some of that, some of that knowledge might be buried of how important a mentor actually is with all like the fake gurus out there right now. But trying to find a mentor that you can tie yourself to is super, super important, especially in what you're trying to do. Yeah, I, I can't echo that enough. Thank you, Alex. And you're welcome back anytime. I hope you'll take me up on that. And it was great chatting with you and meeting you here today. Thank you, sir. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, if so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.